You're listening to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast. Don't worry, our parents are disappointed in us too. Hello and welcome to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast with me, Carmen Ranger, and Hypnopotamus Rex. Hi there. This episode is brought to you by Tokyo Toy Store. Importing goods from one island nation that used to be the seat of an empire to another island nation that used to be the seat of an empire. That's right, Rex. Unfortunately, we didn't have spandex superheroes. Yes, that's why there's a high demand for them. We're sick of our English, European superheroes with minimum spandex and all that gritty nonsense. No, this is why we had Brexit. We want good, proper Japanese superheroes. Damn skippy. Before we cut to the meat of the matter in this episode, we're going to briefly go through our current experience with Q-Ranger, because dear lordy, it is the most satisfying Sentai I've seen. Boy howdy do I love it. It is just, it's God's gift to me. It's everything I've wanted from Sentai for a while now. It seems that American involvement has completely revived it, as the budget has extended even to episode 2. Once again, America has saved Japan. I can't really find anyone who's got any bad points with it. Mm. The most I've seen is a few weirdos getting salty over the fact that the outro dance contains pelvic thrusting. What's wrong with pelvic thrusting? I know, I think they're like living versions of chick tracks, because (laughs) everybody knows that pelvic thrusting leads to marijuana and Satan. Yes indeed, we've done 15 Satans both today. 15 whole Satans? Yes, injected them right into our bloodstream. While pelvic thrusting the entire time. Such is the way of Satan. (laughs) Black Satan, that is. Oh, definitely, because today's topic is villains. Whoa. So yeah, first off is Rider villains. Now, we're not going through all of them each this episode. We're just going through our um, personal favorites. And then afterwards, uh, for all of them, we're going to go through our top favorite and the one we'd most like to work for in each um, genre. We're going through Kamen Rider and Super Sentai. So first off is Shocker, or the sacred hegemony of cycle kindred evolutionary realm. This was great leader on something when he made this name? I think he used to work for Aleph. (laughs) Then again, it was only the acronym from Kamen Rider the First, so hopefully it's not canon. No, not at all canon. Though uh, the suit designs in the first and the next were pretty neat. Now, uh, Shocker is um, the main villain faction from the first series and for much of the subsequent series. Uh, not in name, but in uh, in spirit. The Great Leader would often resurrect and become the Great Leader of um, the next uh, series, or skip a few. He was the Great Leader of Black Satan in disguise, and a couple of others, yeah. That's right, and even in the Heisei series, they would still continue in the films, always in the background, always conspiring, still present, and especially in the Kamen Rider 1 movie, they're still going on in the background, they have subgroups, Hmm. and it really shows there's still a continuity going on that justice must always fight Shocker. It's kind of funny though, because as the series and the films go on, Shocker is getting less and less effective. In the original series, it was a nigh-unstoppable shadow organization that spanned the world. In the Kamen Rider 1 movie, it's like three monsters and a couple of combat men in a uh, a falling-down base with Ambassador Hell in a coffin. Yeah, it always just seems to be a bunch of blokes in decomposing rubber suits, surrounded by men in spandex leotards going, As you can tell, we moonlight as shock combat men to pay the bills. It really helps. It also doubles as a luchador and a gimp. Yeah, we, uh, that's what we talk about in latex power armor. But um, no, I really do like Shocker. Uh, I think it's in it's either in the spirits or the original manga that they're revealed to actually control most uh, major world governments as well. So in effect, Shocker have already won at that point. 
You telling me they're responsible for Brexit? Uh, no, uh, but they were responsible for Iceland's president denouncing pineapple pizzas. So they aren't that bad after all? No, not at all. I would fully support them if that was the platform they were running on. So yeah, um, they, uh, well, basically, Shocker's stick was to kidnap um, people of exceptional intelligence and physical prowess and turn them into weird animal cyborg things, of which Kamen Rider was meant to be the latest of their minions. Menso has gone too far. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately they're not smart enough to realise that maybe they should brainwash them before they turn them into superpowered cyborgs. They don't have a three-year-old providing tactical advice. <laughs> Just a bunch of people with massive egos thinking, okay, then we'll make them big and strong, then we'll have to do the important brainwashing. We just hope they try not to break out. Pretty much, yeah. It's uh, They also don't think to brainwash their scientists either, which is how uh, Takeshi Hongo uh, manages to escape. His um, university professor had been press-ganged into joining Shocker and helped him escape. They really aren't too bright, are they? Not really. That's probably how they keep getting defeated by men in grasshopper outfits. What always bothered me, though, was how different the uh, the double riders look to the other um, altered humans that Shocker puts out. Oh, maybe they were going for a different type of model. I think it said somewhere that they were meant to be like their new elite soldiers. Oh, true. In the movies like the first and the next, they were supposed to be advanced infiltration units. Yeah, they'd take on sneaky little uh, like infiltration, uh, espionage jobs. I think uh, one of the first missions we see Kamen Rider doing in that film is uh, stealing some information from a uh, corporation or something like that. Then we have the fights with the Shocker Riders in the original series. Yes. That was a good idea, and they always reference those. It's even been done in a few of the SIC stories with a bunch of models and seeing how they're made, mm. poor buggers. Yeah, they. Um, I do like the uh, thought of them actually succeeding with their riders and them still being defeated. Much like Kamen Rider 3, who is very much inspired by the Shocker riders with his uh, the yellow highlights and the yellow scarf. I love the fact they emphasised he was from a different timeline by mm. using the aesthetic designs from the first. Yes, one of one of the things I did like about the first and the next was, was the design, as I said. They... Not so much for the monsters, but definitely for the riders. Oh, definitely. They put so much effort into it to make it look tactical. I'm still annoyed that they didn't put Rider Man in those films, though. Now, after their initial defeat by the double riders, uh, they reformed into Gel Shocker, which is where the more traditional combat men, the battle gimps, come from. The uh, Originally, they were just blokes with like painted faces and like a red and black bodysuit. But uh, after Gel Shocker, they got rid of all their old minions and started from the ground up again. Which ones were the blokes with the berets? Uh, those would be the uh, the original combat men. So the French. Aha. 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 May we, may we. After that, great leader founded Destron, which was pretty much Shocker, but, you know, called Destron. Funnily enough, actually, Destron is the name of the Decepticons in the Japanese version of Transformers. And in the IDW comics, in the background, you can see a Transformer themed after Kamen Rider V3 within the Decepticon ranks. There's also an Autobot modelled after Denno and a Decepticon modelled after Amazon. Fascinating. Mm. My favourite part of Destron is the way they name their villains. Let's combine a household item with an animal. It's like steam iron dog. How many how many bazookas do you have in your household? <laughs> Bazooka turtle, chainsaw lizard, scissors jaguar. I shouldn't be allowed to own pets. <laughs> After that, they became Black Satan. Pretty gnarly, if you ask me. Again, pretty similar to their usual shtick. Let's turn people into monsters. That'll work because it worked so well the last time. Do you think there are people willingly working for them are like, do you think we might be the bad guys? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like that Mitchell and Webb sketch. Are we the baddies? It's, you know. Yes? Have you, have you noticed the little, little Nazi eagle we have on our masks? 
Yes, Kentaro. Do you, do you think we might be the baddies? After that, they became Neo Shocker in Skyrider. Evidently, they realised the Shocker brand was what made them great to begin with. And again, pretty similar to the last time. They got a Kamen Rider, we got Shocker. Kamen Rider beats Shocker. Simple as. It's a formula that works and sells merchandise. Tried and true. After that, it became the Badan Empire. Which, every time I think of Badan Empire, I can, o- I can only think of the Pink Panther theme. Badan. One interesting thing is that they're always spoken of as some sort of underground empire, yes. but then in one of the Kamen Rider Gaim movies, it's like, no, we're from hell. Yeah, I mean, literally... Literally hell. Oh, no, yeah, because in that in that movie, they try and turn it hell, uh, Earth inside out, and they're like, the underworld, yeah. literally, like, on the inside of the Earth's crust. It's literally hell. I'm not sure if the, uh, the Toei writers really understand how uh, geography works. Nope, hell is underground. Fair enough, I've Hell is underground and heaven is way up in the clouds where the atmosphere is really thin and that's why angels have developed lungs that can cope with a low oxygen capacity. I've been reading a lot of Dante's Inferno. <laughs> After that they uh, formed Die Shocker from Decade. That was pretty interesting. Uh, it was fun to see them back. Then afterwards we had Space Shocker which was only in one of the uh, Superhero Wars movies. It didn't do much. It's Shocker but teaming up with I think it's one of the villain factions from the Metal Heroes. Uh, oh, Space that, oh what's the name of that crime syndicate? Yeah I don't think it was the first, I think it was from Shider or something like that. Something. Space Crime Syndicate Mado, I think, from Space Sheriff Sharavan. Yeah, if you're going to have a crime syndicate, you may as well make it a Space Crime Syndicate. Oh, that's what makes it all the better. Mm. See, one thing I liked about Die Shocker was the fact that it sounds like something you'd seen in a Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> Seriously, villain syndicates going across multiple dimensions. Huh. That sounds like something really good. Actually, yeah, it was really good. Has someone made Decade X Rick and Morty fan art yet? Dean, we gotta, we gotta go and uh, and unite the worlds. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and finally, we have their most recent incarnation, or rather, a, uh, a splinter faction, Nova Shocker, and these are probably the most competent of the. Uh, modern iterations of Shocker. They decided that the best option would be to uh, ditch being an evil organization that creates monsters and lives out of basements, and to become a mega corporation. That sort of makes sense, and also feeding into just about every conspiracy theory that doesn't involve aliens. Well, you don't know that they're not aliens. Isn't there like a, a thing, like the Great Leaders, like some kind of space demon or something? I think that's maybe from it's one of the It's Japan. Monsters. Every bad guy is secretly a space demon. After that is Golgum. Also known as the organization that Black blames everything on. It's absolutely unforgivable. His meat falls out of his sandwich. This must be a Golgum plot. <laughs> I've always loved that because throughout Black, Kotaro always seems to know if something's a bit off and knows if Golgum's involved. And that's only when we see it. What we don't see is every time something goes wrong or he's mildly inconvenienced, he always assumes it's Golgum, but then after like a, a couple of hours, nothing, no monsters turn up, so he's just kind of embarrassed and glad no one was around to see it. You know, he stubbed his toe on his dresser. Golgum. <laughs> no toilet paper. Golgum. Ran out of milk. This must be a Golgum plot. It's unforgivable. <laughs> That's always been a nice, cheesy thing. Oh, absolutely. Which is a bit of comic relief because that show was dark as hell. Mm. With Golgum, that organization is. We've got this great god who lasts so many thousands of years. But we have to keep um, kidnapping people and make them kill each other to make uh, to choose our next leader. Yeah. So for this, it's like, okay, here's 
those two brothers, though they're not necessarily related. We brainwash them, give them power armor, make them fight to the death, and the new one becomes the Century King. Do they have the current Century King possess the body of the winner? Maybe he just assumes the mantle of Century King. I, I'm not sure. But what would be the actual personality? Because they do just completely rewrite the mind and just like yeah, it kind yeah. of makes you wonder why one of the uh, one of the priests don't just become the leader, you know? Because they create their own leadership. What's the point in installing an emperor I if guess. they're just going to do that? I don't know. Uh, Goldgum, I do like the monsters they have going on there. They're all kind of mutants and stuff like that. I like how a lot of them are actually voluntary. Yeah, the people who kind of comply and kind of... It's wealthy businessmen who desire yes. power above all else and don't want to die. You see them on their hands and knees praying because they want this power. They want the surgery to become a near-immortal cyborg. Monstrosities. Yeah. To be honest, if I was offered the opportunity, I'd be on the fence at least. I mean, come on, you'd be like a giant, horrible monster. That'd be pretty badass. I don't know. I'd be I'd be all for it. I want to be a giant cat monster. Meow. Yeah, I can scrape on people's doors and be like, hey, bitch, give me milk. Oh, just like your cat then. Yes. Could this be a Gorgon plot? I'll have to ask him. Unforgivable. Now, one of the best contributions to the Kamen Rider series as a whole, Gorgon made, was Shadow Moon, who oh, I maintain yes. to this day... Sounds like a My Little Pony villain name. He does a little bit. Oh no, girls, the evil Shadow Moon has come and is going to block all the light from the moon. Oh no. His armor is great. It's a nice contrast to Kamen Rider Black's armor. Oh, definitely. And his seems more complete in a sense, because when yeah. it comes to black, you can tell that his Batman kind of, form yeah, is kind of still bits yeah, it's bulging joints. out. It's not quite complete. And with Shadow Moon, it's like, boom, finished product, kick yeah. his ass. Kind of makes me want to see what the finished, like a, a perfected Comrade Black suit would look like. Oh, yes. I love the SIC figures for it. Yes. Because it looks more insect-like, mm. and it just seems a wonderful blend of organic and artificial. Suits like Black and Black RX really do suit the SIC um, aesthetic whereas things like um, the double riders just add more lines just add lines and make it look gritty there that'll do it next up jumping into the uh, the Heisei series the new the, millennium the Gorongi Always fear, always pain. They are great because they're not so much an evil organization as they are a bunch of people that awakened from a long sleep and decided to continue their game of killing as many filthy humans as possible. Damn those Linto. I mean, they put so much effort into it. They even had their own language that people oh, yeah. decoded. Yeah, you can find subtitles now with the Gorongi script completely translated so you can understand exactly what they're saying. It does uh, ruin the reveal later on, but if you watch, if you want to rewatch it, I would definitely recommend downloading the sub files with the Gorongi script. I think Midnight it. Crew are doing it, aren't they? Yes, they are. Fabulous. I think they've also sorted out the Blu-ray rips. They're also sub resubbing the Blu-rays, as you said, and they've done the first few episodes, and I, as I said in the previous episode, I really like it. I definitely recommend watching it. Yes. Another thing I loved about the Grongi is they had a caste system as well. They'd yeah. established themselves as a proper little group. Well, yeah, it was a, uh, a it was their own, they were their own little culture. They were like a rival tribe to the Linto. Um, Humies. <laughs> Humies leave. But the uh, the suits were great because they really did look like um, actual creatures. You know, they had loincloths, things like that. They had uh, like bits of jewelry on. So organic, it was great. It seemed like a proper little tribe. And their motivation was um, interesting as well. They were literally just playing a game. 
fighting over who gets to be the next big cheese. Mm. Actually, literally, who has to fight the big cheese? Yeah. They're like, okay, kill this many humans. Great, now fight the big baddie. I'd be losing on purpose, you know? Oh, it's like some sort of conspiracy. That would have been fine, if not for the fact that Cougar had to get involved. <laughs> if you're losing for a reason, it's okay as long as you put on a show. Yeah. But when you've got a guy who is going to drop kick you to death, you sort of have to do it. You're going to die anyway. I do like um, villains that predate the uh, the series they're in and were previously defeated by a past hero. Oh, definitely. That was great in Kuga and O's yeah. as well. Like uh, like like Shinkenja as well. They had the older Shinkenjas from when the Gedo show first turned up. Does that make Kuga technically the earliest rider? I, Not as like I in the actual so. common rider name, but in terms I don't of know, the he did hero. ride a horse though. I know. Um, oh, the SIC figure for that. Yes. The horse wearing the, the armor. The horse wearing actual horse armor. It is No, mm. yeah, I do like that. And I do yeah, I do think that Cougar is chronologically the first rider. It kind of makes you wonder if uh, if Shocker was aware of the legends of the original Cougar or something like that when they were designing their own. Moving away from our obvious love of Cougar, despite us worshipping it and bowing down every evening before a photo of Godai Yusuke, we are moving on to the Imagine from Den-O. Imagination! No, wait, wrong wrong, wrong series. But no, the Imagine, I the Imagine were pretty good. Unfortunately, Rex hasn't seen that much Deno, so I'll run it down for you. The Imagine are like um, these beings from the future who had their existence kind of partially erased by an event in the past. So they're going back through time to try and find out what happened. It's been ages since I've seen it, so correct me if I'm wrong, folks. I do like how they look. They've got these, uh, when they turn up after not, when they initially turn up and present themselves before a person, their torso is poking out of the ground and their legs are hovering above them so they're kind of like kind of like they're glitching through reality and they kind of look like they're made out of sand kind of it's constantly falling off oh so like an alternate take of the whole genie thing yes yes they will offer the um their hosts uh, wish and in return, they get to go back in time and like destroy one of their most treasured days. I don't mention that to begin with, of course. Oh, fair enough. So that makes them the baddies. Yes, it's like kind of like a, um, a Faustian pact, monkey paw type thing, you know? I'll grant you wish, but I'll do it horribly violently. Loads of people will be hurt, and you'll lose one of your most treasured memories with it. So if I get offered by one, I'll just be like, I want to be king of the bimbos! He's going to go back in time and slaughter my entire family. Uh, yeah, it could be, could be. Next up are the Fangaya from the controversial Kamarada Kiva. I hate the show, but love some of the things it did. The Fangaya are like stained glass windows vampires. They do literally look like they're made out of broken stained glass, which is a great aesthetic. Does it hurt to hug them? Well, considering whenever they get close to you, they'll suck all the life out of you. Sounds like my ex. Ooh. They're kind of part of this weird clan thing. It's weird kind of chess-themed as well. Now, the Fangaya's were pretty interestingly ruling class of the Fangaya's that um, Kamarada Kiva uh, belongs to, uh, served by a family of bats, which become the belt. So Kivat Bat the third, I think it is, is Comrade Kiva's belt. And he's the best character in the show aside from the second Ixer. He's just the only one that doesn't make me want to throttle them. It seems a bit like something out of World of Darkness. I might create a modded homebrew version based on <laughs> Kiva. Everyone will hate it except for me, and I will roll in their suffering. Next up we have the Museum from Kamen Rider Double. Oh, they are fantastic. It was this mm. wonderful family, and they even hinted at the old tradition of adopting a yes. son like 
in the family and having him marry one of theirs. Yes, in, in Japan, for those who aren't aware, there is a practice of wealthy or prominent business families adopting an adult male to become their son if they don't have a male heir of their own to carry on the family legacy. It may be a sexist tradition by today's standards, but boy howdy is it a useful plot point in Double. Yes, and it introduced one of my favourite characters in Double, Kirihiko Sudo, the Nazca Dopant, which is probably one of the best villain designs in that show. I liked it, but I loved him in the Net movies, simply because he was doing a talk show yeah. after he died and he was beaten up by all of the guests. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Mick. He was interviewing Academy like, hey, did you miss me? He throws him on the ground, and then Mick just transforms into the Smilodon Dopant and kicks the piss out of him. His life is suffering. I did appreciate his kind of return to good at the end. Yeah, he's talking to Shotaro. Yeah, you really feel sorry for him because he really thought he was doing okay. Sure, he was the show's equivalent of a drug dealer, but he really liked the city. He wanted to preserve it the way it was, keep it going in a sense. Yeah, it's nice to have a sympathetic villain. The Sonazaki family, yeah, they're um, a lot more small scale than a lot of previous rider villain factions, but they're pretty fun to see the squabbling between them, and they're more kind of bearing to the family's patriarch. Oh, true. You say they're a small scale, but their influence spans an entire city. Oh, yeah. No, no. no. When I say they're small scale, I'm talking about like they're not a global conspiracy. I mean, they do pretty much run Futo. Oh, definitely. I love the sets they use for their houses as well. Oh, yeah. They definitely look the part of a wealthy crime family. I just love Nick. <laughs> yes. He's one of the generals, but he's a cat. Yeah, he's they stick a, house a belt cat. on him. Yeah. And the fact they adopted him yeah. at the end. Well, what are you going to do? You're just going to leave him. Now you've got Shotaro, Philip, you've got Ryu doing things, and then suddenly, what's everyone going to do with the lost driver? That one yeah. driver from the films. I'm thinking, why not give it to Mick? Why not give that driver to a cat? Stick that <laughs> on him, stick the trigger memory in, and then you've got a bit of fire support. It would be interesting to see how the double suit would fit on <laughs> Mick, though. I mean, would he... Thinking had... it would be like a humanoid-style thing. Oh, man, but oh, man, that would just be weird. you got, like, this cat man running around with a gun. A an interesting concept. One I doubt how I will use, but I wouldn't mind seeing it as, like, a spin-off or something like that. That would be so cute. What, just a cat with a gun? <laughs> Next up, we have the horoscopes from Kamen Rider Forze. Evil school teachers school board. See, this is what I always assumed that my school staff was like. Just monsters themed up of star constellations. You've had an interesting childhood, haven't you, Ranger? So essentially, it is an evil school staff giving students switches that connect to powers from constellations. As as you do. As you do. I think that this is becoming sort of a semi-PSA thing, because in Double <laughs> you have the allegory for drug abuse for this, it's taking things from strangers. Kids, don't do constellations. <laughs> Just get the occasional concerned dad who kicks down his son's door every season he's like son have you been doing switches i learned it from watching you all right <laughs> with double it's like son have you, have you been doing usb sticks <laughs> with guy it's like son have you been doing fruit wizard son have you been depressed <laughs> drive son have you been <laughs> have, you, have you been doing androids have you been playing with hot wheels again <laughs> this is your brain this is your brain on usb sticks <laughs> <laughs> X8. Son, have you been playing video games? What are you, Jack Thompson? Ooh. That hasn't been topical in a while. Yeah, that's it's very, very old topical, but considering <laughs> Japanese graphical quality, they're still a bit behind. Jack Thompson might still be there. <laughs> I did like the, uh, the design of the horoscopes. Um, pretty much most of the monsters in there had the uh, little kind of point.
points on them to represent the constellations. Oh yeah, that there. was lovely. One thing I liked about the design of the generals that they all wore large robes over their yeah. combat designs. That was such a great thing. It seemed so ceremonious. Yeah, it kind of made them seem like they had some. Yeah, like you said, ceremony. Like they, you know, oh, here wear this robe it makes you look badass. In America, there are all the fears of schools having Satan worshippers. For Japan, it's space worshippers. Well, what can you expect? One of the actresses from Kamen Rider Forza has joined an actual cult called Happy Science. This is what the Japanese parents were trying to warn you about. Kids, don't do cults. I know, but it allows you to speak to Margaret Thatcher. Oh, true. Maybe I should join. The leader himself, he was a bit of a straw man. He's like, I'm only manipulating people. I don't believe in friendship. And it's a bit ham-fisted. Joke's on him. Friendship believes in him, regardless of whether or not he believes in it. Are we making... Yeah, let's make our own friendship-based cult. Do you believe in a friendship? Because friendship believes in you, my child. We must believe in a friendship bigger than ourselves. We didn't come from monkeys, we came from friendship. Take that, atheists. From the friendship we came and to the friendship we shall return. You're gonna get so much friendship tonight, baby. We're all one with the friendship. We shall join the great cosmic friend zone. Don <laughs> your fedoras. We shall worship Gentaro as our god and prophet. We shall perform the ceremonial handshake slash fist bump. Moving on, taking a more serious tone, we have the Yggdrasil Corporation from Kamen Rider Gaim. No friendship here, only betrayal. <laughs> Definitely. They're different in the sense that it's established early on that they dominate the entirety of Zuame City. It's the model utopian city that they're trying to make great. So they tore down the previous city, made a new one. You can tell they own everything. Is this like what's going to happen to um, Robocop afterwards? Are these, are these guys like OCP? Pretty much, yeah. They even own the schools. Ah, wow. Yeah, it really is OCP. They're taking over everything and they're just portraying it as this great, wonderful thing. But there is the seedy underbelly because there's the whole Helheim forest thing and they're just sending in so many troops to burn all the plants that appear after the dimensional rifts. And it's happening worldwide. And that's, that's the most... What, maybe that's what Ferngirl is all about then. Oh, definitely. And there are even meetings among the heads because essentially there's a great dimensional rift that's happening, a plague is going to affect mankind, they're all going to go mad or turn into monsters, and they can only manufacture the treatment slash cure, essentially belts that feed off the fruit of the Helheim forest for a fraction of Earth's population because there are only so many materials. So their grand plot is to cull a large chunk of mankind through chemicals, through everything Alex Jones warned us about. About. Including gay frogs. Especially the gay frogs. And they even have their own defense measures within Zawame, so they've got this great big thing orbiting the main Yggdrasil tower, which in itself acts as an emergency weapon, so it can just completely cook the city, nuke the whole place, burn anything related to Helheim, while the other cities have to deal with it. They even use uh, trees that people celebrate around because they were seeds from Helheim Forest itself. It's so much like an anime. They aren't <laughs> the typical bad guys, because their perception of doing the good thing is calling the people as a sort of mercy killing. That's appropriate since the uh, writer for Guy was also the writer for Madoka Magica. That says a lot about it, really. Hmm. It's an interesting um, motivation for the villains. It's not outright evil. I mean, it, it is still evil, but it's uh, for a pragmatic reason. It's almost, it's horribly pragmatically it's self-preservation, really. Oh, yes. I mean, Takatora Kureshima was incredibly self-righteous. He's like, I'm going to have to deal with this, you know, nobilish, obligé, I can't pronounce words. And he was saying he was a sort of messiah because he has to carry the burden of knowing that so many people are going to die because he thinks this is the only way to beat it. Yeah, it's what makes them evil is that this is like their, their plan A, you know, there was no kind of, you know, maybe we should try you know, a different option. 
Well, that was before they found out about the Forbidden Fruit, and they did try to test their power armor by giving it to local kids to fight with and <laughs> oh, getting course. the data from it. Wouldn't you? And then somehow one of the drivers came into the hands of a former military guy whose ultimate aim of damn kids get off my lawn was to participate <laughs> in the fights and beat up teenagers. I still maintain that the whole series should have been about Kamen Rider Bravo. Oh, Oren was so great. Mm. He was such a masculine guy. He was yeah. huge. When he takes off the little turban thing, you know you're in trouble. You know you're in for an ass whipping when the turban comes off. It's the only time we feared the French. <laughs> Next up we have the Roid Mudes. Asimov's Nightmare Made Manifest. Oh, they are lovely. It's very interesting compared to the fact that there were globe-spanning corporations and everything, even though they did have a few people overseas doing they, their things, but it's never yeah, mentioned. We see a couple of them in America that come over to Japan to um, branch out and then Mac comes over from America as well and they're all like, oh no, Carmen Rider's here. Oh no. Uh, funnily enough, one of them was actually a black guy. Oh That's yeah, how you... they did. They had a black guy. Yeah, uh, Japan's only black man. Japan's only black man. I think he was in Wizard as well. Yeah, well, they probably, probably have him on call. Excuse me, yeah, we need someone who doesn't look Japanese. Can we... you help us out? Send your one black man. <laughs> He's always busy. He's running up and down the whole place like, oh, I just need another black guy. Why won't they come to Japan? <laughs> But now the Roid Mutes were an interesting group because a lot of the time they were also fighting for um, self-preservation as well, albeit in a very underhanded, pretty evil way. You know, there are there should be other ways to do it other than you know killing people. But again, that is a quirk in their programming, so it's not like they can really choose not to a lot of the time. Yes, I'd say that the hard Roid Mute, he wouldn't really describe himself as evil. He oh, says he's all. just following his instincts. He, he knows is... he's superior to mankind. He's and... the hero of the Roid Mutes. Mm. He's just doing what is best for his own kind. Absolutely. Just as um, Drive is doing what's best for his um, species by killing the Roid Mutes, uh, Hart is doing what's best for his species by, you know, killing and taking over humans. Robot race war. Yes. Well, the other kind of higher-ups, uh, you know, we've got uh, Medic and Brain, and for, to begin with, Chase. They were all pretty interesting as well. Medic, I really hated her until... Oh, Medic was until horrible. Because when you found out about what she was, why she was such a cow, but otherwise, ah, oh, it was painful. You just hated her because she was damaging the Roy nudes permanently. She was having them permanently killed off. And Brain, I really sympathise with the bloke because I know exactly how he feels whenever my friends get girlfriends. I know, I'm so sorry. I'm outside your window with like a, a checkered handkerchief just kind of in my mouth. He's, spend more time with me, damn it. I found it interesting his triggering emotion was humiliation. He's a massive masochist. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting that they have the emotions that trigger them, that informs them and will reveal how they need to evolve to the next step. It was sadistic, really, how Bano took over Medic. He had her evolve into a main form and then he just wiped her memory and took control mm. and just used her as a tool to bring things back. Bano is an ass and no one will agree with me more than Go. Oh yeah, I had a kid. I don't care about you, my kid. But not in the sense that it's usual deadbeat dad style. It's just, you were literally a tool. I procreated <laughs> so I could use you as a means to an end. That's Child just... beauty pageants. I'm not sure if this is better or worse than Gendo Akari. They have to fight for dad of the year. Get in the uh, rider suit, uh, go, or we'll make Kiriko do it again. Oh, Kiriko should have been a rider, though. Yeah, and she did try to become a rider in um, in one episode. Oh, oh, is that? No, I think it's a flashback to before they yeah. got Shinosuke. She just wasn't compatible. No, they could have made a, made a second rider suit. I mean, they made Mark's suit later on. Actually, yeah, they and made mass a... produced Mark's suits as well. They made a backup driver. Why not give her one? Well, maybe Krim just doesn't really want to go out to battle. Maybe he's just sexist. Damn it, Krim. 
No, I drive. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I mean, what, what would you expect me to then be a female driver? So to come to the end of our Rider Villain segment, we have Foundation X, which is the uh, shadow organization for shadow organizations. So that's right. They are essentially behind the scenes in a lot of Neo Heisei productions, and they essentially fund a lot of them, even involved in Forza. Yeah, they fund the production of the uh, the Gaia Memories, uh, they fund the Kogami Foundation, uh, and they provide funding for the horoscopes and a bunch of others. It's really interesting to see them doing that and then reaping the fruits of those villain factions' labour. They weren't even villain factions for most of them, like with the Kogami Foundation, just because they were interested in the power of the O medals. And the fact they gave so much money to such an eccentric man, <laughs> they're like, sod it, here you go, Mr. Kogami, I'm go sure crazy. Something we can use. They just gave him money to buy a lot of cakes. Shut up and take our money. Okay, so you've made a motorcycle out of a vending machine. That seems worthy of investment. Here, take all of our cash. Here's all of this money. We've had a family that were selling USB sticks laced with heroin. This is not the weirdest thing we've done. We somehow have all this money. <laughs> Someone must make sense in this business. See, I'm glad they're bringing Foundation X back because I kind of feel like they should be like the uh, the new Shocker, you know? Because Shocker started off as this shadowy, nebulous organization that you, know, you couldn't solidly beat because you'd only beat like one outcrop of it. But with Foundation X, I think they, they that could take that place in the Rider series. Ah, uh, true. I haven't been keeping up with them. In which production are they making a return? It's the Kamen Rider Brave movie. Kamen Rider Brave, Let's Survive, Revival of the Beast Rider Squad. Say that ten times faster when you drunk. <laughs> okay, so is that the V Cinema one? Yes, I do think it's direct to video. So yeah, they're finally making a reappearance after being absent for quite a while, and I'm very glad to see them back. It seems like a worthy major villain, especially because the ones in X said, eh, well... Nah, nah, not for me, thank you, Governor. I'd say it was surprising that they weren't in Gaim, but they already had a massive organisation behind the scenes. Well, maybe they'll retcon it or something like that, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And that brings us to the end of our Rider Villain segment. Rex, which Rider faction is your favourite, and which one would you rather work for? I'd say my favourite would have to be Shocker, solely because they don't stop trying, bless their hearts. <laughs> They've been defeated time after time after time, and yet they still keep making appearances. And, well, to work for, obviously Foundation X. <laughs> this great big shadowy organisation that hasn't really been beaten, and I just love to be a mook in that, because there's money in it. You get money. I, I get, get to roll in money. Security, they don't turn up that often. Yeah, just rolling in like 100 yen in the bathtub. <laughs> How about you? What's your favourite, and which one would you rather work for? Well, my favourite is the same as yours. I love Shocker and all their uh, subsequent iterations. It's a great villain concept. I'm very fond of the whole kind of shadow organisation and the lone hero fighting off against them. They're a bit dopey in a lot of their strategies, and Great Leader is not the best when it comes to strategy, but he is still a very formidable foe, and I do love his very simple uh, robed design. Uh, to work for, though, I would disagree with you, and I would say the horoscopes, because working for them would just make me a, a school teacher. You want to be a school teacher in yeah. Japan? Yeah, I just want to be a school teacher. That's... I, I wouldn't even be evil. I'd just be a school teacher. Like, hey, kids, want to switch? <laughs> Have the switch? Buy some switches? Yeah, Good. I, mean, I don't even have to be a monster. I could just be a, a teacher. That's incredibly mundane. Also, I don't want to be evil. You don't need to be evil. You well, you're the one who said you want to be a mook Foundation X. You don't need to be evil to be you a mook. You are not a friend of justice. Like a mook or a scientist guy, you're just doing science for money. There's nothing evil about that, it's science. They might have some charitable things. They partly want to take over the world, but I guess they're doing things to fund it. They're doing, like, good medicine. Maybe they're making extra legs for people who don't have legs. Yeah, and turning those people who don't have legs into robot cyborg monster things. You are no friend of justice. 
Oh. Takeshi Hongo would be disappointed in you. And now we're moving on to Super Sentai villains, and boy howdy are there a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Lacking the recurring villain arc of Shocker, instead each villain faction is separated from the other, so there is very little continuity aside from the crossover films, but they don't really matter because, mm. wow, each faction sure has their own thing going on. I think the only crossover we had was Queen Hedrian coming over into Sunville. Oh yes, that was an interesting one, and yeah, she weird choice. adapted I, fairly well. Yes, I did like her introductory arc. But kicking us off is the Black Cross Army, otherwise known as the Japanese KKK. Fabulous. It's pretty much shocker, except their shtick is having people with masks, and um, I do like, I do prefer their um, their mooks, the uh, Zolders, to the combat men. They oh, have a yes. weird um, kind of almost Viking thing going on with their helmet. Further enforcing the whole Nordic KKK sort of thing. It's <laughs> a weird aesthetic, but hey, you know, whatever works. They do follow a lot of Shocker's aims by having their monsters made of people that they cybernetically alter and brainwash, because hey, sod it, it was the 70s. It worked for Shocker, why wouldn't it work for us? Of course, they also gave us the gift that is Baseball Mask. Oh, yes. Everyone's favourite recurring joke. Just why? I mean, they had a gold-faced luchador in the first episode. I mean, I suppose eventually going to run out of ideas. You're just going to have to open up a, uh, a dictionary and go eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and go with whatever your finger lands on. So, thinking about proposing this idea to the cybernetic surgeons. Hey guys, right, we've got all these themes. What should we do? How about we take a guy and we make him into a baseball monster? What have you been smoking, Hiroshi? <laughs> baseball mask. He's the hero we deserve. Next up, we have the Machine Empire Black Magma. Ah, yes, Sun Vulcan following from Denziman. We previously mentioned that uh, Queen Hedrian did make an appearance in that. Not much really carried over from her in Denziman, except for those episodes where she's looking for psychics. And her in introductory episode, she also does mention the Denziman, and they're all like, yeah, you know, she's like, I, I want to beat them, and how Saturn's like, no, you're working for us now. Still, they do tie in a bit where they start abducting psychics because yes. things are really affecting her own functioning. Mm. That was nice. Yes. Black Magma themselves are a bit odd because their original leader was believed to be Fish Vader who worships <laughs> the Black Sun God. Well, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, if there was a Black Sun God, would you not? Well, yeah, there is one. He's called Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I do love their naming for monsters, Monga. Monga. It sounds like an insult. I don't know why they included the word Monga. It's like, okay, here's Monga salesman. Here's fish salesman. Here's <laughs> camera salesman. Here's wrestler salesman. Maybe it means something else in Japan. I, I don't know. They, you, they we must ask a Japanese person from the 80s. We must consult the Elder Gods. Into the time machine. Next up we have the Armed Brain Army Vault. Oh, they were so good in live, man. Transhumanism at its finest. Oh yes, so essentially it was great big awesome scientist guy and... Space Glam Rockers. Space Glam Rockers, pretty much. It was David Bowie crossed with Resident Evil, crossed mm. with a bit of Akira, recruited a few young students, had them turn evil. Hey gave... kids, you want to do some science? <laughs> gave each of them special powers. One decided to replace most of her body parts with cybernetics. And use awful perfume. And another decided to become the edgiest mofo and become Dr. Obler, essentially giving himself his own fursona. <laughs> forsaking his human form solely because he believes mankind are weak. And the final one, Dr. Kemp, literally does become a furry as Beauty Beast Kemp. It's just like a secondary form of his. He's got yeah. the funky kill-the-kill kill hair. Yes. It, the designs in Live Man were very fabulous. I don't think Kemp was as much a villain as much as a man who just wanted to be pretty. <laughs> he would have done great on RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> Professor Bias, am I beautiful yet? 
No, not yet. You must kill more people. You need more eyeliner. You must construct additional pylons. <laughs> yeah, I do like the villain theme. It's like uh, good science versus bad science. We're good scientists because we created a giant turtle submarine. We're bad scientists because our vaccines gave people autism. <laughs> but no, uh, as for their theme, yeah, transhumanism, they want, they believe humanity is weak and that only the strong and smart should survive, which uh, doesn't bode well for, for me. Thank goodness we have the live man to defend me. Take that, eugenics. <laughs> Next up, the Dimensional War Party, Virum, or as I like to call them, the Proto-Deathgalians. We love Virum. They're the most entertaining villain faction to me because of all the petty infighting and how we do see them on their downtime a lot. Oh, definitely. They are doing their own things, they're squabbling among each other, and for some reason the token robot is drinking and smoking. Yes, it's nice to see them on their downtime. Uh, Maria would play the, um, would play the piano, Grey would pine after her while smoking eight packs a day. And uh, drinking whiskey. He was the bender. He was the... <laughs> he, no, he was the hardcore bender who killed people outright. <laughs> Radigat would rant about he would be the leader, and Tran would antagonize him and tease him. Tran was horrible. Nobody, Tran, li nobody liked Tran. Radigat and Tran were the worst. They were so evil. Mm. Ignoring Zhuoja, the villains in Jetman were just bad. They were nasty people. Well, they, they do play a game among themselves as well. It's, you know, whoever conquers Earth will be the next leader of Virum. Yeah, but Tran, he was just yeah. evil, evil little kid that you just hated like mad. Does Even he have a power, doesn't he have a power glove on as well? He has a power glove. It's so bad. And the Jetmen were like, okay, but what if he's another human victim like Marie? And but he's like, nah. I'm just evil. He gets so angry, he goes through space puberty and becomes even more of a monster. Space puberty, tell your kids about it. I love the way that arc ended because Radigat proved himself as major bumhole <laughs> by not only defeating him after he got betrayed, but messing up his mind so much that Tranza had to be committed to a mental asylum for the rest of his life. Who can be a bigger ass? They're just trying to out-ass each other. Further uh, reinforcing, Jetman is one of the best Sentais in my opinion. So dark, so wonderful. Next up we have the Bandora Gang. I've never actually watched Zoo Ranger. I'll have to lend you the DVDs. The Bandora Gang are the best part of the show. The Zoo Rangers are a bit flat at times, but it, the Bandora Gang more than make up for it. They're incredibly colourful and Bandora is just a joy to watch. You can tell that Machika Soga was having a whale of a time playing her. How does it differ from Rita's shtick in Power Rangers? She does want to conquer the Earth, but for less petty reasons than Rita. She sold her soul to Satan because her son died. For those motivations, it seems oddly justified in some ways. I guess, I mean, obviously we wouldn't want the, the Earth to be destroyed, but you can get why she'd be a, bit, a little bit put out. Definitely. But she is still a very reasonable villain. She offers rewards to her minions and is still very understanding when they fail, especially if it's, you know, not their problem. The other members of Bandora's gang are Griforza, Lamy, Plephricorn, Totpat, and Bookback. This means nothing to me. Go through each. Do right. it. Griforza is um, the equivalent of Goldar. He is a um, relatively lazy knight, uh, kind of knight templar for uh, Bandora. He uh, spends a lot of his time just kind of lounging around when he's not um, when he's not out fighting. He's also the husband of Lamy, which is the centaur equivalent of Scorpina. I think they have a kid together later on. How does that work? Must be one ugly kid. Yeah, and funnily enough, when Lamy rejoins the group, he objects to her going out into battle because he doesn't, you know, because she's a woman and he doesn't want her to get hurt. To which Bandora gives him a stern telling off, pointing out that she is also a woman and points out that he doesn't worry about her getting hurt and she's more than capable of taking care of herself. Burn. Leprechaun isn't actually 
evil. He is the centaur equivalent of Finster. He just wants to make monsters. He doesn't really care what they use for as long as he's given an opportunity to make them. That's cute. So she's got a savant locked up in her space castle. Pretty much. He's just constantly creating OCs for her. This one's my original hedgehog character. Totpat is next, and he is the equivalent of Babu. He is a vampire who hasn't actually ever tasted human blood. And there's a whole episode dedicated to Bandora trying to help him out because he really wants to taste human blood. He looks a bit like a flying monkey from The Wizard of Oz. Which fits the whole kind of Wicked Witch theme they've got going on. And finally, we have Buckback, which is the Sentai equivalent of Squat. He doesn't really do much. He's he's just there. He's um, Top Pat's best friend. They just, he's like, the, they're like the Sentai equivalent of Bulk and Skull. It looks a bit like a Japanese Danny DeVito. <laughs> Can I offer you a dinosaur egg in this trying time? But yeah, the Bandora gang are fun. You can tell they're all pretty good friends and they do have a laugh. Uh, whenever Bandora feels like she's on the cusp of victory, they all have a little dance party going on and it's it's cute. Next up we have the Machine Empire Baranoia. We're going into something a lot darker than Bandora's gang. Absolutely. And holy cow, we've got cities being destroyed. Oh, we've man. got scenes that had to be toned down later on solely because they were too dark. We're talking... Full-scale, War of the World-style alien invasion and it is wonderful. We've got set pieces straight out of a David Lynch movie and scenes that were just so dark. The only way they could be darker is with Acha and Katya being filmed and <laughs> Katya reading out a list of all the Empire's demands while Acha is in the background shooting people. It is so dark and horrible. But no, it is great to see a full-scale military invasion going on. It's really fun to watch. The robot designs are pretty interesting too. I'm not entirely sure why anyone would design a robot to look like Henry VIII though. I'm not sure why, if they're an entirely robot's royal family, why did they need to make a son that's a child. Maybe they've been programmed with like uh, residual kind of human things. That like, sounds like the worst possible thing. That yeah, sounds oddly ironic. I think that's mostly why he was uh, banished into space by the guys from Pangaea, you know? So by declaring the inferiority of mankind and trying to wipe them out, they're ironically pointing out that that's a human trait on themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's your typical machine uprising thing. Oh no, these these machines are getting up to you. Into space they go. Banish them into space. If only they did that in Mass Effect with the Geth. <laughs> no, but in the, in the end it was the Quarians that ended up getting banished into space. <laughs> Next up we have another race of machines called Banki Clan Gaiak. Gaiak also known sounds as the so barbaric cool. machine clan Gaiak. Gaiak sounds like such a great name. It's a a portmanteau of noble and harmful, which works because a lot of them have titles like um, president or minister, stuff like that. It's, to begin with at least, they're a very goofy villain faction. Oh, put... Yeah, it's Goonja. It's yeah. if Car Ranger were trying too hard. Yeah, they put me in mind of the Pilaf gang from Dragon Ball and how kind of goofy and ineffective they are. And in the end, they end up actually turning good because they just kind of lose interest in being evil. I'm having a look at the names of the members now and it's like Pollution President Crow. Prime Minister. Yes. And it's like, okay, how about we go down to more horrible names like Abortion Secretary, <laughs> Genocide Shadow Minister, just horrible, horrible things that you'd definitely see in an adult version. <laughs> yeah, it's weird kind of juxtaposing things like that with the uh, the goofiness that is go on They kind of go from world to world, polluting it and taking it over. Pretty generic stuff, but the kind of uniqueness and kind of goofy and uh, endearingness of the characters kind of make them memorable. 
Next up is the Gadoshu. Shinkenja was overall such a great Sentai, and the Gadoshu themselves, I can't really complain. They had proper motivations, it was established that they were defeated earlier on, like how many hundreds of years ago, and now they're making a Lovecraftian return. Mm. Hell, Shatari of the Bones is obviously based oh, yes. on Cthulhu. Most definitely. And the big boss, he just sits around getting drunk and angry, eventually no, waiting no, 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 for no. things to happen. It's it's headache medicine. Headache. That's. Th I loved how they dubbed that over in it, Samurai. It, it, he's totally having headache medicine, guys. He's he's not drinking sake out of who a does, sake dish. Who does headache medicine out of a sake bowl? It's right. like, <laughs> is this Japanese purple drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dokoku is not the most effective villain for most of the series, but he is. It is fun to just see him getting wasted. And, you know, lashing out at his subordinates. Juzo is another great villain. He has this kind of uh, lone, kind of dishonored samurai thing going on. The typical one who has some sort of grudge against the red. I will be the one to defeat you. Yeah, that whole shtick. And Dayu is another one of my favorite villains from this. I mean, her shamisen is literally made out of her husband. I mean... How awful. This is what you get for cheating on me. I will make you into my instrument. It's horrifying. I do like the uh, little thing that developed between her and Juzo. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. I love Dayu's character development. She was a human. She became corrupted and became essentially a monster. Yeah. And she loved him so much, even though he was an absolute cheating pile of scum. Never cheat, folks. Your girlfriend will turn you into an instrument. Next up, we have the Space Empire Zangyak. Ah, yes, the Gokaija villains. Not to me as appealing as Die Shocker, but mm. that's just me, boy. Ah, they're, they're, they're fun. They're, um, especially to begin with, they're not something to be taken seriously. Wars Gill is. He's your typical kind of flamboyant, poncy prince who's been kind of sheltered for all his life and doesn't really know how the real world works. He throws tantrums, treats his subordinates as like his nannies almost. It's pretty fun to watch. I'll have to get around to it after watching every Sentai series before it because I insist on it. I need to get you, every you minor don't reference. don't even need to do it. No, I must. They're pretty much self-explanatory. I must. But yeah, it's pretty fun. They even bring in bounty hunters in one episode, like uh, a bounty hunter that looks just like a red Boba Fett. Wasn't that the bloke from Dino Charge? No, 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 afraid not. No, literally, just imagine Boba Fett but make him red and that is him. Wow. Yeah, beautiful, isn't it? As with most alien invasion forces, they're not the deepest... But it's fun. It's space invaders. What's not to love? Next up come the Varglas from Tokume Sentai Go Busters. Oh boy, howdy, how I love these. Oh boy, yes. The fact that Go Busters itself is an homage to Power Rangers in little ways. Even the evil mechs are called Megazords. That's a fantastic reference combined with everything else and it's the big morphin head. It's morphin time. <laughs> yeah. Let's morphin. That's not how that word works, I'm afraid. Yes. Messiah himself was such a an interesting character because he was impulsive, he was just essentially a big child. The worst boss to work for. Absolutely the worst, and Enter and Escape were just parts of him that were made sentient. We were talking about this earlier. Uh, which Elder Gods, or which Lovecraftian beings, did you tell me that uh, Messiah and Enter reminded you of? Well, I'm power-leveling a bit with the whole Lovecraftian thing, but Messiah himself is similar to Azathoth, 
the demon sultan of the universe, so essentially the all-powerful god that's essentially mindless and unaware, and Enter fulfills the role of uh, Nyala Thotep, acting as the messenger, the outlet of his will, but actually being the only one capable of thought. See, as Messiah is so impulsive, he's out of control, he's aggressive, he had to filter traits into two separate avatars, essentially. I love it when Enter kind of gets a bit frustrated and has to politely explain to Messiah why exactly he is wrong and stupid. Mm, and Messiah is always like, quick, just attack now, fight now. Do it, give me the energy, let me get in, kill them, do that thing. And Enter does all this planning, and he wins in several episodes yes. as well. You kind of feel bad for Enter eventually, because he has to juggle pleasing Messiah, while also trying to win in the long term, and fighting against the Go-Busters at the same time. See, the introduction of Escape really helped with Enter's personality, because he initially hated her, yeah. and even after her death, he obviously misses her, because he tries to bring her back, but everyone is always incomplete. First it starts with one that's completely submissive, and he just doesn't like it in the long term because it's pointless. Yeah. Then he keeps on making them more and more aggressive, trying to bring her back, but it's nothing. Then he reprograms her to be able to absorb organic life, and she essentially becomes a mindless killing machine that he lets go of. He genuinely missed escape, but when he found out he couldn't do anything to bring her back, he just used her to finish everything else off. He's a very sympathetic villain, not in the way that he has sympathetic motivations, but just in that all the crap he has to go through kind of almost makes him endearing. Oh yes, he was such a well-written villain. Essentially, Gobustus is the first Sentai I watched the whole way through, and it set a really high standard for villain development. Mm. It's really interesting kind of um, comparing the very well-developed Enter to the probably intentionally badly developed Messiah. Here was more of the looming threat that people were afraid of. He didn't really need anything in the way of development because he was just there. Messiah was everything. Messiah was an enter. Messiah was just a force of nature, a big mindless beast that had to be kept under control. And yeah, enter was definitely the more immediate threat that the Ghostbusters had to deal with. Next up is the Deboth army. Another Cthulhu Mythos reference. Absolutely. Uh, these guys are pretty horrifying. They live inside their boss's chest cavity. Again, this relates to the Lovecraftian thing, as there's this great unconscious entity, and parts of him are separate entities fulfilling his will, trying to wake him up, so he's dead but dreaming. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, dynamic they've got going on there. I do like the whole kind of different villains kind of choosing a different emotion to kind of draw out of people. Even though two of them are absolutely pants. Are we talking about Candelera and Lakuro? Well, not necessarily Lakuro. Lakuro was just there. Lakuro was just there to make the monsters big. I'm talking more about Igoron, Mr. Oh. Funky Dark Souls looking dude. He was supposed to incite sadness, but he didn't do a thing. I thought that Candelera would do okay, because it's just making nice things. As in, like, in the early episodes, he was... A monster making really nice cake. I know, someone's ruined it and now he's making, giving everyone teeth cavities. Oh no. Ah, and so strange. She had the best power simply because it was creating happiness. I do like how that power that she was given kind of pushes her to defect from the Deboth army and to become the mentor of the 100 years after Shoryuja team, along with Lakuro. That's only because Torin was off fighting monsters in hell. God bless that aquafresh coloured bloke. Overall, their goal to resurrect an elder god was pretty interesting. They were literally inside of him, though. Like, their whole castle was in their father, almost, their boss. It's the thing. same in the end as well, because his transcended form is piloting the other remains, the castle, as it is. They sort of dropped the ball at the end when they hinted, oh, I was created by someone. And then they <laughs> didn't really do much with it. If they were going to mention him, they should have had him in later on. 
Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I don't think it really added that much to mention that he was created by someone. It really didn't add to him. It took away from him, in fact. All it did was just point out, hey, you got to watch the next movie. Oh boy, buy our unique special toys for that movie. No closure for you guys. Buy the tie-ins. Next up is the Evil Army Shadow Line from Russia Sentai Tokuja. Ah, uh, see, I love the designs in that, especially for the boss dude, because he had that funky plague mask thing going on. It looked so steampunk. They've got a very steampunk Victorian thing. Uh, Baron Nero with his top hat and plague mask. Madame Noir with her um, long layered skirts. And the rest that we don't really care about because I've only watched a few episodes of Tokuja. Mm. Oh, but then again we had General Schwartz. Oh, General Schwartz is one of my favourite characters in that show because he is still very honourable. To begin with, he didn't actually want to fight the Tokujas. He just wanted them to leave him alone and you know, he didn't want to actually engage him in battle. And he also really wanted Zaram or Akira to come back and work with him because he appreciated him as a minion. What made Akira defect to the Tokujas again? Rainbows. Literally, uh, his power was to ruin people's day by making it rain. And one day he stuck around long enough to see the rainbow afterwards. Wait, what? And uh, and he was like, oh, I feel a bit crap now. Why would you be racked by eternal guilt if you just make it rain? He could go to Kenya. The monster of the week in the first episode, his shtick was kidnapping kids or something like that. And And he got someone like Zaram who literally just makes it rain. Like, what? No! I ruined that family's picnic. Uh, I deserve nothing but death. Nobility suits in that series were so good. I'd take them to a goth convention. They look so great. Nicely intricate, but not so much that it's ugly to look at. Oh yeah, it's not too childish. It's just so cool. Yeah. It's cool. It's edgy and it's just great to look at. The grunts as well with their fedoras and they're constantly tipping them and they've got these uh, axes that can become tommy guns as well. It's an old train robber themed thing. Yes. So they've got the massive, wide-brimmed top hats, they've got the funky morphing weapons, they put a lot of effort into the mook designs. Yes, those mooks are definitely some of my favourites. Especially when compared to the ones from Kyoryuja, which were essentially the patterns from Nelson Mandela's shirts come to life. <laughs> we always knew he was holding a greater evil at bay, and when he died, unfortunately, he was unleashed upon the world. Zed was an interesting character. He was a being of darkness who later developed an affinity for light. Okay, so how did he fit into Tokyuja? So when did he appear in? I appeared a few episodes in, uh, episode 11, because they were constantly kind of trying to, the his underlings were constantly trying to bring him in, and they finally managed it in episode 11. And uh, he's introduced actually just kind of wandering around that one theme park they always film in. Oh. And uh, makes friends with the uh, the red Tokuja, because they, neither of them know that each other, uh, yeah, that they're meant to be enemies, and they just kind of bond over having fun. Okay, that's kind of cool. It's a fun series. I'm not too fond of the Tokujas themselves, but the villains are great, and Zed has great villain designs. He gets like this great design later on in his monstrous form, where he's literally just shirtless, wearing a long coat and pants, and it's great. Khan. Yes. No Ricardio Montalban here, though, unfortunately. We're going to gloss over the villains from Ninja, because... No, how dare you? Bad Don't taste. talk about Ninja. Bad. Bad. Next up, we have the Death Galians from Dobut Sentai Georgia, and because we discussed them at length in our previous Georgia special episode. We're not going to go as in-depth as we normally would, but basically they're aliens, they're playing a blood game, they're awful and we love them. They're like the Grongi from Cougar met up with Viram from Jetman. They Mm. are brutal and they are having a whale of a time doing it. 
Unfortunately, they're the only ones having a whale of a time doing it. It's sort of a free-for-all near the end. There's this big web of everyone betraying each other, but ultimately the big bad himself gets his ass whooped. As usual, and it's in spectacular fashion. Such a great series. Hmm. We currently don't have enough information to go on the space shogunate junk matter, but... From what we can oh, tell, Lordy. we do like them. It very so cool. Very galactic empire from Star Wars. They even went so far as to establish the hierarchy. Yeah, which was a nice touch, I thought. And so far, the monster of the week in the second episode wasn't really the main focus either. No. He was there in the giant mech battle, but he had hardly any involvement on foot. Yeah. It's not like the usual monster of the week where they're going around, Hiccup, frog, you're going to go around and give everyone hiccups to power our death machine. He's just there. But this case, it's because the villains have already won. Yeah. They've already established this empire. All they've got left most are the just... Empire is subjugate. Most of yeah. the empire is subjugated galaxy is under their foot, you know? All they've got left is just people to oversee everything to make sure everything's running smoothly. That's why in episode two, it's just this great fat guy who's like, hey, here's something fun. Let's collect a bounty and get me more money. And so this concludes the section on Sentai villains. Ranger, which is your favorite villain faction? And which one would you rather work for? My favourite faction would be Viram. I love the squabbling they have between themselves. I love the infighting. And all the characters are pretty solidly defined. Grey is a wonderful character and his fight with Guy near the end was wonderful. I love their design. It's all very weirdly organic with like the uh, weird mushroom helmet that Maria oh, has. definitely. That weird kind of shrimp thing that Radigat has. But yeah, they're, they're my favourite. Uh, for the ones I'd rather work for, however, it would be the Bandora gang, because Bandora genuinely cares for her underlings and um, will reward you if you do well. Will be measured if you fail. I like the way it's done in Denji Man, because Queen Hedrian keeps her minions' heads. That's why I don't want to work for Queen Hadrian. Just imagine that beaming out. So what about you, Rexy-poo? Well, for favourite faction, I've got to say the Vagrus, simply because mm. Enter is great. Enter is trying so hard to maintain some control over the boss who is just demanding immediate gratification. It's such a great series. If you haven't watched Go Busters, please watch it. It is great, and it gets so dark near the end, despite the rewrite they had to do to make it more light-hearted. So they're not pulling an O-Ranger that much. Shame they still got the same treatment as O-Ranger, though. Yeah. And to work for, I'd have to say Death Galeons, because because those guys just sit around <laughs> in space getting drunk and watching their minions do things with people. It's like watching a live stream of Saints Row. Yeah, but they don't have dance parties whenever they nearly win. They should. That's what's happening in Saints Row 5. I will demand it. <laughs> so, this has been the Spandex Power Armor special on Rider and Sentai villains. It's been an interesting insight into each of our favourites, and hopefully after we've done a bit more binging, we might even go into a few more. And we hope you guys have had fun listening to us. Please check the link in the descriptions for Toku Toy Style. They are a great supplier of a lot of imported goods. You can buy a bunch of Rider toys, some mm. Sentai stuff. I some think some older um, things as well. Uh, not too long ago, they were selling a uh, Kuga belt as well. Oh yeah, I'm not sure if that's gone yet, but oh, that was lovely. That mm. sold way too quickly. We've even got some Power Rangers things going yeah. on. So we definitely recommend giving them a check. This is Rex signing off. Stay fabulous. Keep on riding, folks. 